Welcome to the Cowboy Chronicles, the Oklahomans, Oklahoma State Athletics Podcast. I am your host, Scott Wright, joined by Jacob Unruh and Jenny Carlson. Coming to you post-game after Oklahoma State's 23 to nothing dismantling of Texas Tech. Another impressive defensive performance, y'all. It's, uh, it's just like Mike Gundy said, it's getting really hard to find words to describe this defense at this point. Just another day at the office. Yeah. If you ask them. It's, uh, I, I'm running out of words, too. Yes. Um, and we've got two more weeks of this defense to write about <laughs> for a little bit. And then, you know, bowl season, obviously. But this, I, I don't, I don't know what to describe what we're watching other than just pure dominance. Yeah. To watch them demoralize opponents and make young quarterbacks second-guess their career choice is um, entertaining, to say the least. It has been a lot of fun to uh, to see this group in action, see their uh, evolution, their development over the course of the year, and to see them playing the way that they are right now. 23 points allowed over the last four games. One offensive touchdown in that span, and that was given up by second and third teamers against TCU in the fourth quarter. The other touchdown was a uh, fumble return. Yes. So that's on the offense. Right. So um, it's just really hard to wrap your head around what this defense is doing right now. Well, and I think, too, you guys, and uh, everybody was well aware of what Texas Tech did a week ago against Iowa State, you know, really moved the ball over 500 yards, over 40 points, beat Iowa State, uh, you know, a defense that I think most people around the Big 12 would say is pretty good. And they just had nothing. Uh, it took them well into the fourth quarter to uh, get into triple digits, to get over 100 yards of offense. I thought they were going to end well below 100, but I got a couple of uh, bigger plays against a few reserves. Jim Knowles didn't throw in a bunch of reserves, but um, hit a couple passes and, um, you know, got over 100. But still, I mean, punted nine times, had 10 first downs. I mean, stuff that you don't normally see uh, against Power 5 opponents. The last time Tech got shut out at home, 87. The last time they got shut out by anyone, 97. And the guy on the other side of the field, quarterback and the opponent, was Scott Frost at Nebraska. Uh, so we know that he's uh, he's a little bit older than college-age quarterback at this point. But uh, Texas Tech, not a team that gets shut out a bunch, uh, especially since Mike Leach went out there in the early 2000s. They've uh, made a habit of not getting shut out. But uh, definitely they were done last night. I mean, Jacob said it. The more This defense demoralizes teams and – you saw the defense when they hit the wall, or you saw the offense when they hit the wall, and then you saw fans leaving, and then you saw the Tech defense realize, we can't do enough to win this game. And at that point, you know, ball game, and I think it was still early in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was, and it's been um, it's been really unique to see this Oklahoma State defense take the life out of out of its opponents the way that it has in this uh, in this four game stretch Texas Tech was not uh, I mean for all the, uh, the the difficulties they've had and the crazy season and the coaching change and everything they've been pretty solid on offense they came in over averaging over 30 points a game over 400 yards a game and uh, and like you said 108 
total yards, no points on the scoreboard, only 10 first downs. Uh, it's just it's just so impressive to see what uh, what this defense can do. One more one for the history books. Oklahoma State, the last time it shut out Texas Tech was 1957. <laughs> weren't scoring a lot of points back then, so to, to get a shutout in today's college football, I mean, that tells you something. Yeah, Oklahoma State's first shutout in a conference game since 1995 when it beat Oklahoma 12 to nothing in Bedlam. So um, really, uh, really gives you an idea of what exactly this defense is doing, things that, uh, that haven't been going on a lot of places for a long time they have this runs of you know we talked about this the run of playing teams if they have big their best games and just right. demoralizing they've done it just so many teams now i don't think you know we'll talk about bedlam later but i don't think ou's coming off their best game per se but right they're going off a better game i mean and OU's not gonna overlook them so um but uh tech came in with a quarterback looked like cam newton last week <laughs> on the field and he wanted no part of this defense after about a quarter. No, and uh, uh, I mean, and he's a uh, big physical guy, 6'5", 230, can move around. Uh, that probably helped him escape a couple of sacks yesterday. Um, but they were, uh, they were making him think. They were, uh, they were in his head, it seemed like, and he was making throws that were uh, were more characteristic of a freshman than a uh, than a seasoned player. So uh, he they made him uh, they made him look like the freshman that he is in uh, in the way that they attacked him, the way that they uh, that they frustrated him, and made him uh, made him make some really poor throws at times. But this defense has a way of doing that to young quarterbacks, and I and I think that's something else we'll get into as uh, as we get closer to bedlam. Um, for everything that Caleb Williams says well, he's still a young quarterback, and this is another week for for Jim Knowles in this defense to uh, to dial up some new stuff, some uh, some creative things in uh, in disguising their coverages, and uh, and to make sure that uh, that they're keeping Caleb Williams uh, on his toes. Um, you look at what they've done against uh, against young quarterbacks over the course of the season; it's uh, it's it's a really positive sign for this defense. Yeah, I think Knowles is probably already in his office in Stillwater in his laboratory, really <laughs> getting his mad scientist game plan ready. Um, he struggled a time in the past against OU as a defensive coordinator, um, but this year is obviously different for him. And I think I'm interested to see what he comes up with. But yeah, he's he's locked up in his office already right now as we speak, probably uh, devising plans scrolling things all over the place tossing ideas out there and uh getting this wild wacky game plan to, together for caleb williams and i think he has to prepare for rattler too because if they shake williams like they've like they've done these other young quarterbacks the last few weeks we might see rattler it's in possible. that game and you got to prepare for both if you're osu yeah you do and uh i mean we saw uh with oklahoma state or with oklahoma against baylor uh, you know they uh, they get they got the offense frustrated and uh, and Lincoln Riley flipped the switch and uh, and went with Rattler for a few series there. So it's uh, definitely something that's got to be on your mind if you're uh, if you're an Oklahoma State defensive player or coach. But at this point, I I don't know. 
I mean, yeah, Rattler's more experienced in seeing things, but this defense does a good job regardless. I yeah. mean, I, I think I think you you would have to have you would have to rewind a few years to when we had sort of the heyday of quarterbacks in the Big Twelve and you know, had Baker Mayfield as a very seasoned guy and, you know, look around the league, Pat Mahomes as a seasoned starter at Texas Tech. I mean, you would have to rewind to that point to really find a lineup of opposing quarterbacks for this Oklahoma State defense that you would think, well, maybe they maybe they get this figured out. They've seen a lot. Maybe they get this figured out. But that is uh, – I think even if Rattler does get called on, at some point in Bedlam, I mean, I, I just think this OSU defense, the front is able to get pressure. They're able to throw fresh bodies in there and continue to get pressure. They're fast side to side. So, if you, you know, both Rattler and Williams obviously like to escape the pocket, roll out and, and uh, you know, throw on the run. But they're quick to, to get out there and get on guys. So I may have just uh, evolved this post-game podcast into the pre-Bedlam podcast, but um, I think it's I think it's going to be a tough task, regardless of whether we see Caleb Williams start to finish or see Spencer Rattler at some point for the Sooners in Bedlam. Circling back around to uh, to <laughs> Scott bringing us back on topic <laughs> to the the Texas Tech game, uh, the offense. Um, I, I I think injuries were a big part of uh, of some of their struggles. They weren't terrible. But uh, they stalled out in the red zone a few times, had to kick a few field goals when they had chances for touchdowns, uh, had a drop pass uh, that, uh, that should have gone for a touchdown, resulted in a field goal, had a uh, trick play that should have worked out, but um, Jaden Bray lost a shoe and <laughs> couldn't the complete shoes, the catch. The shoes won twice almost. Yes. They, uh, Spencer lost his shoe at one point too. Yeah, he did. And so you had some, uh, some moments where – touchdowns were uh, were within their grasp and they couldn't finish them out but overall still over 400 yards of offense they uh, controlled the game controlled the clock uh, had some struggles with the run game early but figured things out in the second half made some good adjustments there and uh, and ended up uh, Dominic Richardson ended up running the ball uh, pretty well 20 times for 84 yards so a, uh, a solid day from him Sanders was able to uh, to run the ball a little bit had the rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter so the offense it, it just it felt like particularly the injuries on the offensive line with Danny Godlevsky out and and Josh Sills clearly not 100 percent even though he came in and played after Tyrese Williams got hurt um, and the lack of practice for some other starters throughout the week was a uh, a real limiting factor on Saturday yeah and I think that's the sign of how far this team has come as they can get by on offense because their defense, yeah, um, you know, I think uh, some people were questioning why Gundy in the first quarter. I, th- I think it was first quarter they get down and they're on the forty-two or something, and they punt on fourth down on fourth and short. Right. Um, they took the delay of game and got Tom Hunt five more yards. But um, you know, I think when you when you consider everything they were going through as an offense, I get why they didn't go for it. Um, if it had been last week when they had everyone pretty much healthy for the most part or two weeks ago I said hey you got to go for that but I think they might have but with this one and they'd already seen early the defense wasn't giving up anything so why not get the ball back and let the defense go to work yeah makes sense yeah and I think too when you look at the overall body of work from the offense 
you know, yeah, they didn't score as many points as they could have scored with those red zone stall outs and the drops uh, or the shoe mishap with both. Um, the truth is they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, that offensive line, which sounds like it was the most impacted by guys missing practice, no sacks, um, limited the quarterback hurries even. Um, so to me, it's a, you know, again, it's not a perfect game, but it's the type of game that you you don't, you know, we've heard that in myriad ways over the last couple years. The offense just wants to make sure it doesn't do anything to screw up what the defense is doing and they did more than that I mean this wasn't a a 10-0 nail biter I mean when when they're up 16-0 and people are leaving I got it I mean it felt like 66-0 and then they go up by four scores 23-0 and you're like Texas Tech is not coming back in this game because at that point you know the defense was doing what they were doing but the offense was also showing that they were just gonna you know, they were going to be okay if they had to punt. They were going to be okay if they had a running play on third and five and it only got four yards and, you know, okay, let's go on down the road and let the defense get back to work. They were okay with that scenario. And I think that's, um, I think that's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing for the coaches to talk about that because I think they had a recognition of that, you know, probably in the last couple years. But for players to buy in and to realize, you know what, it's okay if I throw it away, Spencer Sanders, and he has, and he does. You know, it's okay for that to be the outcome of some things. And so I think that's a really positive, uh, I think that's a really positive thing overall when you look at just, again, without uh, Brennan Presley in practice, no offensive snaps for him. Um, Jalen Warren limited, uh, two of the Cowboy backs limited, two of the offensive linemen limited in practice. So just a, you know, a rough week of prep and they were able to still get it, get it done. And the thing that I think was probably the most important to what they did was that they were able to, uh, they were able to kind of change up the game plan a little bit, start throwing the ball around when the running game wasn't working early. Then they got back to the run game in the second half and, and made it successful. But, um, you know they threw the ball around quite a bit early on in the game, and I don't think that was the plan. No. Uh, I think that was an adjustment by by Casey Dunn to uh, to make sure that they had a uh, an attack prepared that they thought was going to work. So um, Spencer Sanders ends up throwing the ball 38 times, completes 19 for 239 yards and a touchdown. Um, 38 passes might be. I don't have the stats in front of me. It might be his most in a game this season. Could be. Uh, not, not in his career, but I think it might be this uh, this year with the uh, the emphasis on the run game that they've uh, that they've seen, particularly since Jalen Warren took over. So, uh, really important for for Spencer to uh, to take over and uh, and throw the ball the way that he did. Uh, completions wise, not his uh, not his best game, but uh, still above fifty percent and still. Uh, really, um, really efficient in what he was uh, what he was doing. We saw uh, Tay Martin have his best game as a Cowboy, 130 yards on seven catches. Uh, had a couple of uh, really impressive catches. Did have the one drop that we talked about, but um, he but wasn't happy about that afterwards. He brought it up. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, was a, a point of frustration. Still, uh, still well after the game for him. Yeah. I think um, that one and the one in Austin still haunt him. Yeah. 
yeah, two touchdowns that uh, that were in his hands that uh, that were easy scores that he let slip away. Um, but we saw the emergence without Brendan Presley. We saw the emergence of John Paul Richardson. And that was an, an important factor in uh, in last night's game. Hashtag not Dylan Stoner. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not Dylan Stoner. The uh, the slot receiver wearing number seventeen who is not Dylan Stoner. It's weird. It it's is so weird. It is. But he played really well. He um, did. He played incredibly well. Was the right spot. Um, didn't seem really sure-handed, and uh, you kind of felt like it was Dylan Stoner all over again. To be honest. Right. I'm interested to see how he develops. You know, being a true freshman out there and doing what he did, I was I was really impressed with him last night. There were times when there were three true freshman receivers on the field at uh, at one time. It was uh, it's pretty crazy to think about. I'll take us back to the uh, pre-Bedlam podcast mode for a second. I think that that slot receiver position is going to be really key against the Sooner defense because it looks to me like the cushion that they're giving – Especially on short and intermediate passes, it's pretty. It's pretty nice cushion for for an opposing offense. And so, if if uh, the Cowboys can figure out some ways, whether it's Brendan Presley playing next week, I assume he'll probably be back there. That's why they only had him catching punts last night, um, or John Paul Richardson, or a combination of the two. I think those guys could be really, really big in Bedlam. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was really a good decision to uh, to to hold Brennan Presley out, knowing what uh, what John Paul Richardson was capable of. Uh, that was a, a, a smart decision. Uh, also, a smart decision to have him back there catching punts because Austin McNamara was making him work for uh, yeah. for his uh, his uh, his punt return or not his punt returns, but just just to fair catch the punts was a uh, a lot of work. That might have been the best punting performance I think I've ever seen in person. Uh, it definitely was. That was re- for incredible. Me. He was booming them, and he and some of them were high. The one one Presley barely caught because it was so high, and I don't think he get a very good read on it. He had to kind of fall with it to catch it. Yeah. And I thought, man, yeah, Presley was good. And I think uh, with him dealing with injuries, it's probably good with him, you know, discussing his mentality last weekend of just effort on certain <laughs> plays to say, hey, just go back there and fair catch everything and. You just make sure we catch the ball and, and don't run. Don't right. don't get in your head and run. Just just catch the ball. Yeah. Austin McNamara, nine punts, average of fifty six point four yards, had a seventy yarder that uh, that that rolled into the end zone for a touchback. Didn't he two have two touchbacks? Didn't he have eight all. over fifty yards? Yes. Isn't that exactly. what it was? Like an FBS and record, a, I think, is what and a uh, and a and, and a forty eight yarder. To go, to go with it. That's eh, a little weak, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the wind picked up on him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's just wild. I mean, it's just, you know, they got – I don't remember the San Diego State's punter's name, and I apologize, but that guy booms punts all the time, and he hadn't right. had that many 50-yard punts in a game this yeah. season. It's incredible. Yeah. It was uh, it was impressive to watch. That's for sure. He was he was the MVP of the game for Texas he Tech. Was, by he far. was the only thing keeping OSU from just running up and down the field. Yeah. You know, uh, he he would have had even more had they not gone for it late a couple times on fourth downs. I, I think in the second half, uh, Tech turned it over on downs three times. So yes. they really wanted to give him a a big night. Have him have dozen punts and see what he can do with it but no as it was he was really good I I totally agree and even though you know you might say well Brendan Presley didn't do anything 
he those were nine important plays to make the right play um you know sometimes that was a fair catch but that was important and it didn't again part of that extension of the offense not doing anything dumb and that was uh definitely started on those punts you know to to fair catch and and get it going I, I thought that was important and he definitely played a role that way on the other side, Tom Hutton had one of his better days of the uh, of the year. He averaged 46 yards on seven punts. Man, Tom Hutton. Only He's two not of those a fan of Lubbock, but he had a good day in Lubbock. <laughs> He's not a fan of uh, uh. of Lubbock. Um, we can't uh, we can't share that on the on the air. Uh, no. But, uh, find but you'll find him on Twitter if you want to know what he had to say about Lubbock. Not a good experience in Lubbock for for Mr. Hutton. No. Uh, but here's, I'm going to say this one more thing about McNamara. I don't know who the special teams player of the week is for the Big 12, but I would not complain if that guy was special teams player of the week. No, not at all. That was incredibly impressive. He deserves it. He, uh, he definitely does. Because if he hadn't flipped the field so many times, OSU would have scored a lot more, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely for sure. But Tom Hutton, man of the people, right? Right, he is. <laughs> that he is. Him and Tay Martin, man, they had, they had the bulletin board stuff last night. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, Tay Martin, uh, very fired up for uh, for his his first bedlam as the as the uh, go to receiver in the Oklahoma State offense. I think we could uh, say. It. I mean, he said that they they would expect to whoop their ass. I think yes. we can say that on this podcast, right? Yeah. So, but give the context. Yeah, you know, uh, talking about just and he thinks that way in every game, right? And he was asked if you know he thought it was going to be a tight game or they could maybe get some distance um what he kind of thought and he said well i would expect to whoop their ass but i think that every game you know but if we take care of business and do what we normally do we'll be fine it wasn't necessarily him just taking a shot at ou it was him just basically stating his mindset and his confidence in this team and the yeah. defense yeah exactly and they've got every reason in the world to feel really good about this I'll be really curious to see what the uh, what the um, the odds on this game are, what the spread is. I think Oklahoma State's in position to be a favorite in this uh, in this game right now. The way they're playing and the way uh, Oklahoma has been up and down lately. So, uh, and obviously being in Stillwater is uh, is a an important factor as well. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild night in the in Stillwater. Six thirty kickoff. ABC, lots of excitement. Remember, too, the fact that Oklahoma State has wrapped up a, a shot to go play for the Big 12 title. I mean, I haven't decided what I'm going to do as far as my pick for this game. I don't, I don't know yet. But the fact that OSU, they don't have to play tight, you know. I mean, do they want to go to the playoff? Yeah, and if they, uh, because of that, they want to win this game. But Big 12 championship is they've got a chance to go play that game and so you know I think that they can play with a little more freedom than maybe we've seen some years to me the biggest question for OSU going into Bedlam is how healthy is the offensive line yeah because to me that's the one thing that OU their defensive line is really good and I don't know what happened when they hit that swoon sort of middle of the year they weren't getting pressure at all and I think they've figured it out but that to me is the one thing that if I'm OSU, I really, you know, I want Josh Sills to live in the 
to live in the training room. I want him to get that foot right. I want Danny Gavleski to get healthy. Um, you know, I want I want as many of my front line first team offensive linemen out there. But uh, if that if that doesn't if that doesn't take a turn for the worse, I think that's where OU has to beat OSU. And so I, I just I, I I think it's setting up nicely for the Cowboys. Yeah, that the health of the offensive line is is going to be critical uh, because you look at uh, at what Oklahoma was able to do against Iowa State and Brock Purdy on Saturday. They were able to cause a lot of trouble for him, um, knocked him out of the game for a little while at one point. Um, you know, if you're if you're Oklahoma State, you can't uh, you can't be having that with uh, with Spencer Sanders. You need him on the field and uh, and presenting his uh his uh, the the rushing threat that he presents and really uh, bringing the energy to this offense that that he has brought while he's been playing as well as he has lately that raises a question for me if sanders goes down if this is a big if right who's the backup because the other day they didn't play illingworth said they played a red shirt him yeah yeah i i think i is, think illingworth is the okay, guy no matter okay. what just, I think just if, curious. If they were really serious about redshirting him, I don't think he would have been on the trip. That's true. This weekend. That's so, true. Um, He's a break glass and emergency backup, essentially. Like yes. Emergency being Spencer can't go. Yes. <laughs> exactly. In a big game. Yeah. So I uh, I, I think that uh, that Illingworth would be the guy in that scenario. Makes sense. Uh, Jenny, as you mentioned, Oklahoma State locked into the uh, Big Twelve championship game. And getting there has been a really big goal that uh, that this team hasn't talked a lot about. They've been very much focused on one game at a time and all of those sorts of things. But this is a uh, has been a really big goal for this team. Yeah, and that was something that if it was talked about before, I didn't hear it in these terms. And and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. But back in January, so basically after the Cowboys wrap up the 2020 season. And start thinking about this year Mike Gundy set out a goal for the team to get to Arlington wasn't talking about winning the Big 12 wasn't talking about what would happen once they got there but get to Arlington that's something this team hasn't hasn't done since they reinstituted the Big 12 championship game they obviously have that championship 10 years ago but that wasn't with a with a title game in the conference so getting to Arlington being there being in that being in that arena when it comes time to award the Big 12 championship. That was the goal that Mike Gundy set out. And you had a lot of guys, super seniors, guys that maybe could have um, could have left, uh, you know, gone and started their lives or, or tested pro waters and said, you know, they wanted to come back. Guys like Tay Martin, guys like Devin Harper, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. So you've got a heavy dose of super seniors who – wanted to see what was possible and this became the goal to get to Arlington and the Cowboys know they're going and you know now it's it's a it's a matter of what else what else is possible I don't know if they're thinking in those terms but the way they're playing that seems that seems a a likely train of thought but obviously getting there having never gotten there that's a big deal that that's no small accomplishment for this program Absolutely, and to think about where this team has come from this year, um, you know, halftime of the Tulsa game, I thought uh, I thought we were looking at a seven and five team. 
this uh, this did not feel like a uh, a team that was going to be in the in the, possibly the top seven of the college football playoff heading into Thanksgiving week. Um, they are and, seven in the AP poll. It just came out. Very nice, and uh, seven in the coaches as well, which came out earlier today. So, uh, good chance that they're uh, that they're at number seven in the CFP as well. We'll find out on Tuesday. Gundy has his finger right on the pulse of this. He said they're going <laughs> to move up two spots. Is what yeah. he said. And they did. Yeah, they did, and uh, good chance that uh, that they are uh, moving up two in the in the CFP. So we'll see what uh, what what happens with that. Uh, see how they're how they're discussed by the committee, and uh, and how they're viewed. At this time, with the way this defense is playing, continuing to uh, to uh, just step on the throats of opponents and uh, and put them away. So, how much we'll does the Iowa State loss help or hurt at this point? Does it, does it get worse than more Iowa State's lost? Probably so. Yeah, it's uh, it, it kind of loses uh, loses some value. I think um, not a ton because Iowa State. Still has uh, some solid wins on its uh, on its resume, and um, it was in Iowa, and it was it was at Iowa State, so that uh, that makes a difference. It was a three point game on the road, um, but uh, you know it's just it's hard to really understand what the committee really looks at with all of these games because there's uh, so many things that that. Uh, almost seem to be contradictory at times uh, in terms of what they're looking at and, and how they're viewing things, how they view head-to-head and how they view uh, same record with different types of losses and all those different things. So it's hard to, uh, hard to really judge what they're looking at in terms, of, uh, in terms of the college football playoff rankings. All right, uh, we'll get more into Bedlam on uh, on our midweek podcast this we'll, week. We'll do one this week. We will have we one this week. We've, we've uh, slacked on it the last two. Basketball weeks. has made things a little bit tricky for us the last couple of weeks, uh, but uh, but we'll get into it and uh, and uh, bring you a a midweek Cowboy Chronicles podcast. So I suppose that brings us to the most important thing I forgot. Man. Anything, uh, anything on the on the burner? You know out what? There? We don't get to do. We haven't really done travel blogs anymore, so we got to talk about this trip. It's, um, uh, it's better uh, better traffic than we had on our last uh, Texas oh, road trip, by far. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to focus on the food. We've crushed it. Yeah, we've absolutely crushed it. We had Kegels Friday night, great steaks, um, baked potatoes, um, good appetizers too. But the steak was fantastic out in the middle of a ranch i thought that was a really cool atmosphere really felt very west texas um when you have everything in that atmosphere there yeah and then saturday afternoon we did a an excursion out to evie may's barbecue number eight on texas monthly's fantastic list of barbecue joints in the state um that's like a sacred list in <laughs> texas um it might go dallas cowboys football barbecue in Texas, <laughs> and so uh, you know that's number eight, and it was phenomenal. Um, I have leftovers that I'm bringing home to to share with my wife, um, and uh, that that's the one important thing we forgot right there. <laughs> Jenny, anything anything to share that I forgot? Uh, quick uh, piggybacking on the uh, uh, verbal travel blog, 
so we decided to get off the normal beaten path to drive to Lubbock, which for most people coming out of Oklahoma City involves taking I-40 all the way to Amarillo and turning left and then reversing that to go home, which is a perfectly fine way to go. But we decided, we just, Jacob said boring. We decided to uh, go off of 40 and we ended up in some places where we really didn't know where we were, but Google Maps kept us straight. And uh, then we took a slightly different route home from Lubbock and it's still a long drive, but when you're seeing parts of the state or parts of Texas that you don't normally get to see went a whole lot faster than I recalled uh, trips to Lubbock going in the past. So I highly recommend listening to Google when they try to take you off of the interstate for a good chunk of the trip to Lubbock. It's not, it's not bad at all. And as far as things in the game, I will say this. Um, the defense, the one thing that was, if there was anything troubling about the defense, and I frankly don't think this is something to get super worried about but Derek Bernard got three defensive pass interference penalties in that game Texas Tech got they were desperate let's just call it like it is and they just decided they were going to chunk it down the field and uh, either complete the pass get an inter- interference you know it's two out of three incomplete complete or interference they thought and they got a couple of interference penalties but I don't necessarily see that as a big red flag um they were all legit defensive pass interference penalties. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one week you may have an officiating crew that's going to call it super tight. The next week, maybe a little bit looser. I think in a game like Bedlam where physicality is high, I think they're going to probably be a little more lenient with some stuff, with some hand fighting and that sort of thing. So, again, not a red flag, but definitely not the greatest you know the fact that the secondaries they hung in there they didn't you know lay down they didn't get frustrated um but that was a that was kind of an unexpected you know cringe for Jim Knowles after the game I think yeah it was and um a little surprising but when you're in man-to-man as much as uh, as Oklahoma State is those things are going to happen on occasion it was just interesting to see Jark Bernard Converse with uh, with three of those penalties uh, he's been a guy that has become more of a target over the course of the year, even more so than Christian Holmes, who I would have pegged as the guy that uh, the teams were going to take their shots at, but um, hasn't really been the case. More going after Bernard Converse, which is uh, which is interesting to me because it seems like he's had a pretty good year. So, um, all right. Unless there's anything else, I think uh, I think that wraps us up. So we will uh, we will shut it down for now, and we will talk to you in the middle of the week on the Cowboy Chronicles podcast. <laughs>